morning. My name is John Fairchild. I'm here as an interim pastor at Grace these days. Welcome to all of you. It's uh, great to see you. Um, we will uh, be finishing up our little series uh, this morning uh, called uh, Jesus, Our Savior, Our Lord, and Our Treasure. And this morning we're doing part two on Jesus, Our Treasure. Uh, <clears throat> next Sunday, one of the next few Sundays, I'll be away, Kathy and I'll be away on, on vacation, and uh, next Sunday, Kevin Burgess, our worship leader, is going to uh, share with us uh, some thoughts from his heart, and then the Sunday after that, uh, Einar Skolseg, one of our elders, will be teaching us, and the Sunday after that, Mark Anderson uh, on the pastoral staff downtown at uh, Royal City Church, Royal City Mission, will be bringing the matches to us, so you can look forward to those and be praying for those individuals as they... Uh, share with us. And I'd like to thank Mark Brown for bringing the message last Sunday and uh, talking to us about uh, conflict resolution, uh, something that Mark's an expert in. And uh, <coughs> well, he's working on it, and so are we all. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's with God's help that we negotiate one of those realities in our life as well, in the, in the spirit of Jesus. So thank you very much, Mark, for, for that. Let me pray. Lord, we just pause just for a moment. We've sung, we've worshipped, we've clapped, we've, we've marveled at the kids, we've, we've, we've chuckled and laughed, and now we ask that you would sit us down and capture our attention and speak to us from your word this morning about <clears throat> that which we treasure most in our hearts and in our lives. May we learn, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning how to treasure you more and more. Amen. You've probably heard of the scenario, thought about it, the scenario where your house is on fire and you've only time to run out and take one thing with you. And uh, the question is, what would it be? And, uh, and so, you know, what, what we take out would probably be something we treasure. And what we treasure says a lot about us. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's always good to think through that little exercise about what would it be? that you would run out of your house with? Um, you know, would it be uh, a piece of jewelry? Uh, would it be uh, <coughs> your Maple Leaf hockey card collection? Uh, or would it be, uh, would it be uh, the photo album? Often is top of the list, because the photo album, do we even have photo albums anymore? But we used to, anyhow. And that's got your life in it, right? Your kids growing up and all those special occasions. And, uh, and so uh, that's assuming you're, family's already out, you know, you, your kids are out and everything, and the dog and, and that, but what item would it be? So, so uh, it's good to think about what are the treasures in my life, those things that I value so much. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, Jesus being our treasure. We looked at the passage where the woman uh, uh, brought her precious uh, vial of perfume worth, it says, a year's wages, and broke it over Jesus' head and anointed his head and his feet and her brothers, the disciples, uh, criticized her strongly, but Jesus defended her more strongly and said she's done a beautiful thing. And what she's done will be talked about all over the world, uh, wherever the gospel is preached. And, uh, and so it is, and so it has been and continues to be. <clears throat> Jesus was her treasure, and she held nothing back. Uh, it seemed extravagant, uh, but may God make us extravagant in our worship and our praise in our response to him. <clears throat> I thought I'd spend one more week on this. I, I said when we finished up last 
week. That's what we should do, treasure Jesus. But I said, I want to talk one more week about how. How do we do that? It's one thing to exhort you and say, treasure Jesus. But you might say, well, I'd like to, but how do I make progress? We're never fully arrived, but progress is what we're interested in. And, uh, and so I want to just share a few thoughts this morning about the how to uh, do that, help equip you in growing in your, in your love for the Lord. I could give you four or five good, biblically-based, theologically sound points on uh, <clears throat> how to treasure Jesus more. For example, I could say, study your Bibles. Uh, we need to learn everything we can about Jesus from the, the ultimate source, and that's the Bible. You can't love what you don't know. So we got to get to know him better through the Bible. And that is true. Uh, I could tell you to pray. Pray for a heart that loves Jesus more. I'm sure that God would be glad to answer that, question, that prayer. And, uh, and that would be good. We should, we should pray for that kind of heart. Or I could say, obey. Obey what? Obey the greatest commandment of all. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Just just. Determined to do it with God's help, and uh, that would be good. Or I could say, read good books. Study good, solid Christian material, books that describe God and describe Jesus and, uh, and just help us to know him and treasure him more. Books like uh, uh, <clears throat> Knowing God by James Packer or uh, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer or Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. All so good. There's many, many, many good books. And, and I would say do that for sure, absolutely. They're all good ideas. But what I'm going to do this morning is read three passages without a lot of comment and then tell you some stories. If you're good boys and girls, we'll get to the stories later. But uh, let's, uh, let's read three passages um, just to put them on the table just to put them there in front of us. You can go home and think about them more deeply later. But the first one I'm going to read is from Mark 10, and I expect it will come up on the screen behind me. Uh, and this is a story about a young man who was rich, wealthy, and a ruler, so he had power and influence. And he heard about Jesus, and he came to Jesus, and he called him good teacher. So he knew Jesus was good, and he asked him about eternal life. So he knew that Jesus had words of eternal life. And, uh, and, uh, and there he was standing uh, about two feet away from the creator of the universe. And he had his own treasures, his wealth and power, but in front of him was infinite treasure. And he made a bad choice. Made a bad choice. Let's read it. Mark 10. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> A very poignant story. 
And a man chose the wrong treasure in life. <clears throat> Let's read uh, about a man who chose the right treasure. And that comes from Philippians chapter 3. And it's from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Uh, his name used to be Saul. Saul of Tarsus was his hometown. And uh, the Apostle Paul, in his former life, before he became a follower of Jesus, was a rising religious star, almost a rock star in the religious world, which was their world. That was important. And, uh, and so he describes some of his, his accomplishments and some of the things that he treasured, and others would treasure too, and they would say, that lucky Saul, like that guy is amazing. And, uh, and Paul describes a little bit about that and, uh, and how his life was going, the trajectory of his life. And then he met Jesus, and everything changed including the things that he treasured. Let's read it. Philippians 3, I'm going to start in verse 4. He's talking about what I have confidence in. He says, if ever, anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's a good Jewish thing, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, he knew his tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he wasn't just a nominal sort of ethnic Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was like in it all the way. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee was devoted, committed, and, and loved Scripture. Sometimes got things wrong, as we know, but, but he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, I didn't just disagree with the Christians. I tried to stamp them out. I thought they were wrong, so he had zeal. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but. I love that word, but. Usually, usually something good is going to happen. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness or value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. In his former life, Paul was all in to Jewishness, and now in Christ, he's all in again. He was an all-in guy. May we follow his good example. Jesus became his treasure. <clears throat> One more passage from Matthew 6. Jesus spoke these words himself. They come from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is about treasure as well. A question, um, this thing about, you know, we treasure Jesus in our hearts. He's the thing of highest, the thing, the person of the highest worth, highest value in my life, in my heart. Does that just, are some people born with that and some people not? It, it, does it come, is it a genetic thing, you know, like my father treasured Jesus, and by golly, so do I. Didn't even have to try. Uh, I don't think so. I think other people can influence us for good. We'll hear more about that later. There are choices to make. Choices about what I treasure. 
sobering, extremely important, all important choices. Let's read what Jesus said. He puts it in the form of a command. Verse 19, 619, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not, he says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. tell some stories. <clears throat> I'm going to tell stories about how we can treasure through savoring. I'll explain that in a moment. We can treasure Jesus more through thinking and meditating. We can treasure Jesus more through listening. And we can treasure him more through, of all things, singing. First of all, savoring. I mentioned earlier some good books you can read, and one of them I mentioned was a book by John Piper called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. It's very good. It's not very big. It's, made, it's under 100 pages. You can read it quickly, but you'll probably never forget it. <clears throat> and John Piper says we can, and a, a tendency of people is to see, but not really see. The Bible calls it seeing, but not perceiving. And we can hear, but not really hear. Hearing, but not understanding. And it comes from a dull heart, Scripture says. And so Piper, he puts forward the idea of savoring. Not only the need to see, but the see to, but the, 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 the act of actually absorbing and delighting in what I see and examining it and falling in love with it. An illustration, you ever watch the dog eat its dinner? <clears throat> like, they just gulp it down. You, you, I don't think dogs taste anything. I guess they do. Maybe they taste faster than we do. But, but they just gulp, like, whoop, 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 and down it goes, and off they go to play. And, uh, and that's how we should not read the Bible. Do not gulp. Whatever might be your favorite food, what is it? Uh, a real delicacy to you, is it something chocolate? Uh, is it apple pie? Is it butter tarts? <laughs> is it a fresh spy, northern spy apple in September? Anyway, uh, before swallowing it, hold it in your mouth for a moment. Sometimes we'll do this. A moment or two and just appreciate the taste of what it is. The aroma. You know, taste and, and smell kind of work together as we, as we that's, a, that's a great gift God has given us to do that. It's called savoring. When you savor, you slow down, you just hold it for a few moments and you just savor the taste, the aroma of whatever that item is. I can see some mouths watering out there. You're delighting in everything that that piece of cherry cheesecake is. It's very essence. You savor it. Piper says we need to do that with Jesus. Slow down. Stop gulping. And just hold him close in your sight. And not only see, but really see and appreciate and fall in love with him. 
I thought of wine tasting. I don't know anything about that, but, but you know, there's these wine tasting events and you have these people who have, I guess you call it, very highly and sensitively trained palates. <clears throat> and they have a special ability to, to really taste and appreciate the nuances and the differences between different kinds of wine. They say that some of these people can tell you where it was growing, where the grapes were growing and, and you know, what the season was like and that just by savoring, but they savor the wine. They, they hold it in their mouth, they swish it in the glass, they smell it, they taste it, however it all works, but, but uh, they're, they're really good at it. And we need to be getting really good at savoring Jesus Christ as we study him and look at him presented to us in scripture. In that way, he becomes more and more of our treasure. Still on the subject of savoring, I'll tell you about a man <coughs> named, uh, you, many of you will have heard of Henry Nouwen. He died in the 1990s. He was a Dutch uh, Roman Catholic priest. Uh, he wrote and lectured extensively, brilliant man, wrote and ex lectured extensively, was in demand all over the world, go to universities and conferences and Christian things and talk about Christian ethics and theology, and, and he had brilliant insights. <clears throat> and uh, it was in the early 1980s when he was getting burned out. He was going a little too hard, a little too fast, and he was feeling burned out. And he was in a friend's office, and the, 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 they closed the door, and on the back of the door there was a poster. And the poster was a depiction, uh, a, a print, I guess, a copy of uh, Rembrandt's famous old painting called Return of the Prodigal Son. And um, he was struck deeply by that poster and the image that was on it. And he couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was ministering to his soul in an unusual way. And he went home and he studied the story of the prodigal son, again, you know, the son that went away and got into bad trouble and came home broken and dejected, just hoping his father would receive him back as a, as a servant, and his father received him back as a full-fledged son and loved him and accepted him. Beautiful story. Jesus told it. And the, and the point of the story is to show how God will receive any repentant sinner, no matter what you've done. He'll receive you in his arms. And uh, so Henry Nouwen said I, I, he knew that the original painting was in a museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. And, uh, and so in 1983, he made a point of traveling to St. Petersburg, going to the Hermitage Museum in, in Saint, there, and, uh, and finding Rembrandt's original painting. I guess it's huge. It's seven feet wide and about eight or nine feet high. It's bigger than life. And he saw, he came into the presence of the, of the painting, and it says he sat down in front of it, and he just stared at it. Not for an hour, not for two hours, all day. Didn't move. And, and he noticed that as the sun moved through the sky outside the museum and the light came in the windows, the light would be dif different and it would be shifting as the hours went by and he would see different things in the, in the painting. It's quite a dark background. You can find it on the internet easy enough. And... Uh, uh, and then there's the, the, there's the father who's facing you and the son is, whose back is to you and he's on his knees and he's obviously disheveled and dirty and, and broken and dejected and he's leaning against his father, his face is against his father's stomach and, and it's the picture of absolute brokenness. And the father is embracing him with his 
with his two hands, and one hand is, is kind of more masculine, and one hand is more feminine, representing mother and father's love for his son come home. And the son is broken, but obviously at peace and home. Now and went home, or back to his hotel, got up and came back to the museum the second day. And he sat again, hours, staring at it. Could I say, savoring the love of God, the wisdom of Jesus to tell this story? We learn to treasure him by savoring him deeply and not being in a hurry. Second story, just a short one, about thinking. Um, I talked to one of you not too long ago and somehow we got around to what we were doing in our devotional lives lately. And that person said to me, I said, uh, for example, what, what did you do today? And this person said, I was thinking. And I said, about what? And this person said, about, about God. And I said, did you read anything from the Bible this morning? They said, no, I was just thinking about God. I said, what about God? And they said, well, I was thinking about, first of all, God as father and what that means and what, what he's like as a father. And then I kind of moved on and I was thinking about God the son, Jesus. And again, what he was like and what he's done for me. And, and then I was thinking about God the Holy Spirit. And again, the role of the Spirit in my life and, and encouraging me and guiding me and showing me the Son and the Father. And, and, and then this person said, and then I, then I found myself in tears. And I thought, that's so healthy. That's so good. Think. Slow down. Meditate. Find a quiet place. Put that little gadget away in another room somewhere. <laughs> seriously, and learn how to meditate on, and this is like savoring, isn't it? The Lord Jesus. Third story. A long, long time ago, when our church was very young in the late 70s, some of you were there, we, uh, we used to meet every Sunday night in a basement Uh, and uh, we would cram in there. There'd probably be 25 to 35 young people, mostly single. Uh, One little family, I remember, with a couple of little kids. And we would break bread together. We would have communion Sunday night, and uh, there were guitars present and song sheets, and we would sing, and then someone would share something from the Bible and exhort one another, and then we'd sing some more, and then we'd pass the bread, and then someone would share something, and then some prayers, and then we'd pass the cup of wine, and we'd remember, and, and it was just an awe. It was, it was great. It was sweaty. <laughs> but there was an older couple that used to come. Well, there were two older couples, Roger and Kathy and John and Jan. I want to tell you about John and Jan. We appreciated them both. In fact, those older saints gave us some legitimacy because we were a bunch of crazy young people at that point. And uh, they, they grounded us and kept our, kept our feet on the ground. <clears throat> 
John Meyer was uh, uh, born and raised in, in uh, the Netherlands, and uh, he had a Dutch accent. And he, he, he wasn't a preacher. He might have been, at that time, when we were all in our mid-20s, he might have been uh, later 50s, I'm not too sure. You know, when you're 25, everybody over 40 seems old. But, uh, but uh, J John wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a writer, he wasn't a philosopher, and he's just a very ordinary man. But he would take his turn to pray as well in that sweaty room. And when he prayed, you could hear a pin drop. Everything went very quiet. Even the kids stopped crying, it seemed like. And I'm not very good at Dutch accents, but uh, John would pray something like this. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for dying for our sins. We did not deserve your love, but you have forgiven us and made us into your sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. Amen. And we'd all say, Amen. John's favorite book of the Bible was the Song of Solomon, uh, sometimes called the Song of Songs, written by Solomon, apparently, to his wife, his bride, at an early point in his life. And uh, so John loved the Song of Solomon because it's full of language of, of love between two lovers, between the, the, the husband and the bride. And, and they're speaking to one another. And, and there's a school in, uh, in theological circles that believes that the book of Song of Songs is put in the Bible because it describes the husband as be, really it describes Jesus, the bridegroom, declaring his love for the bride, us, the church, and that it's an allegory. Not all theologians believe that, but many do. John sure did. And he used to quote and read from the, from the book of the Song of, Song of Songs. And it would sound something like this. Lord Jesus, I love hearing you speak to us and saying, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. He would take that very personally. Or, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Ah, we love you, Lord Jesus. I'll never forget John Meyer. I've had to think about him this week a bit as I'm thinking about this. I learned a lot about treasuring Jesus just by listening to him pray. Treasuring through listening. <clears throat> treasuring through singing. 
In the fifth century AD, a young Christian from Britain, or a, a young man from Britain through a long series of events was, became a Christian. His name was Patrick. Uh, we know him as St. Patrick. But he had a burden to go to Ireland where there was no Christian faith and to preach the gospel. And, uh, and so he went just by himself. Didn't have a worship team or anything. And Ireland, was called Erie back then, was a completely pagan society, not an easy place to preach the gospel. They were rough people. <clears throat> but St. Patrick, as we know him today, was a remarkable young man with an amazing faith, amazing, and a great devotion to Jesus in his heart. Historians estimate that during his lifetime of missionary work in Ireland, that there were 200 churches planted and as many as 100,000 people baptized as new Christians. Amazing. We call them Celtic disciples, Celtic Christians. And they took the message of Christ away from their island out into the rest of the world. They, there's evidence of the Celtic Christians uh, in Scotland and England and on to mainland Europe and all the way as far as Switzerland. And my question is, what motivated and drove those ancient Celtic Christians to sacrifice their lives and, and leave their homes and travel so far to win strangers to Christ? I think a major clue lies in a song called Be Thou My Vision. It wasn't originally a song, it was a prayer, kind of a prayer slash poem, uh, written back in St. Patrick's time by St. Delan Forgal. It was known and memorized and prayed uh, by many in that era. So it was translated from the original Irish language dialect to English, and then it was again further turned into a, some stanzas and a song, but the essence follows all the way through. And uh, I want us to, I'm gonna read the translation of the prayer to us, it's kind of long, uh, but I want, to, want us to listen to the depth and the warmth of their devotion to Jesus, their treasure. Jesus, their Lord, Jesus, their King, Jesus, their wisdom, their Father, their delight. It goes like this. <clears throat> Imagine praying and saying this every day. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. None other is aught but the king of the seven heavens. Be thou my meditation by day and by night. May it be thou that I behold even in my sleep. Be thou my speech, be thou my understanding, be thou with me, be I with thee. Be thou my father, be I thy son. Mayest thou be mine, may I be thine. Be thou my battle shield, be thou my sword, be thou my dignity. Be thou my delight, be thou my shelter, be thou my stronghold. Mayest thou raise me up to the company of the angels. Be thou every good to my body and soul. Be thou my kingdom in heaven and on earth. Be thou solely chief love of my heart. Let there be none other, O high king of heaven. 
till I am able to pass into thy hands my treasure, my beloved, through the greatness of thy love. Be thou alone my noble and wondrous estate. I seek not men nor lifeless wealth. Be thou the constant guardian of every possession in my life. For our corrupt desires are dead at the mere sight of thee. Thy love in my soul and in my heart, grant this to me, O King of the seven heavens. O King of the seven heavens, grant me this, thy love to be in my heart and in my soul. With the King of all, with him after victory, won by piety, may I be in thy kingdom. Amen. Treasure through singing. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, amidst all the other treasures and distractions in our hearts and in the world around us, still our prayer is that your worth and your preciousness would increase and grow in our hearts. In the book of Revelation, the great cry of the worshiping multitude is, you, O Lord, are worthy. May that cry grow increasingly strong here in Grace Community Church. Sometimes, Lord, we sing, you have no rival, you have no equal. I pray that to be increasingly so here in this congregation, in me, to the glory of God, amen.